Hey there, and welcome to the Bakingish Podcast, the podcast where we go through cult classic and timeless recipes, break down what makes them work, and how to experiment with recipes in order to make it truly your own. Along the way, we'll discuss what makes life worth living, the highs and the lows, and try to figure out what it is to navigate the complexity of being human. Within the kitchen, you are limitless, and with that comes the ability to find a voice in order to face the outside world. So join me, your host, Ren Newman, as we dive right on into this week's recipe. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode. We're going to be talking about chocolate cake, dissociative identity disorder, and how to have fun with imperfect layers. There might even be a Shrek quote or two, so be anticipating something brilliant. (laughs) Um, Quick update, I've launched my website. So that's exciting. It's called FahrenheitCo.com. It's got a tab for all the episodes, uh, a blog, and then a YouTube channel, which is coming soon. Um, Needless to say, I have a lot of free time on my hands, so I'm channeling it into other creative projects. The blog will be discussing things separate from the podcast. It'll be more life topics rather than mental illness. Um, Same with the YouTube. I'm going to be uploading recipes and then human condition topics, and then a couple of other things um, just to keep it as sort of a diary for my future self, if that makes sense. Um, I want to be able to look back on this time and not only have audio of what I was doing via this podcast, but also to see what was on my mind, what I thought, how I can change and grow, how I stay the same. Um, So yeah, if you want to join me, feel free. Like I said, it'll be up soon and then connected to the website, but I'm very excited. And yeah, please go check it out. It'll be in the description in the show notes. So give it a a quick run through. Um, I did a lot of the design myself. So let me know if it's shaky or what's going on. I've been working on my um, coding skills and my website design and programming just to beef up my skill set. That way I can have easier access to a job in the future or just continue to do this on the side if I can actually like get it launched off the ground, Um, which is the end goal because I really enjoy doing this and I didn't think I would this much. I thought I was doing it to help other people and that that is one of the main goals, but along the way I figured out that I actually really like making content. and it's a good way to flex my creative muscle. I am so bad at animating, though. I tried to make <laughs> a introduction animation for my YouTube, and it's it's rough. Like, albeit I'm using Sketchbook and like a pretty basic Wacom, but oh, it's it's rough. <laughs> so, if you guys have any tips, please let me know. All right into this week's recipe. So this is a basic chocolate cake recipe. It's tried and true. I've been using it for the past three years. It's really basic. Um, It isn't vegan and and gluten-free to begin with, but you can sub it out for pretty much everything that I'm going to mention up ahead um, to make it, you know, vegan, gluten-free, allergy-free. So, all right, let's just jump into it. So for the cake, you're going to need three cups of flour, three cups of sugar, one and a half sticks of butter, three-fourths of a cup of olive oil, one and a half cups of water, eight tablespoons of cocoa powder, three-fourths of a cup of buttermilk, one and a half teaspoons of baking soda, two teaspoons of cinnamon, 
optional if that's too much spice for you. I mean, it really goes well with the chocolate, so it's not optional to me, but, you know, you do you, whatever, it's fine. You can also add some chili here instead. Um, one teaspoon of espresso, also optional, but again, it just brings out the flavor of the chocolate, especially with only using eight tablespoons of cocoa powder. You really want something that brings out the depth of the cacao. Um, two teaspoons of salt and three eggs. For the buttercream, you'll need four sticks of butter, two pounds of powdered sugar. Sounds like a lot, I know. It's just one bag of powdered sugar from the store. So don't worry, don't be alarmed. It's, it's all good. Um, one teaspoon of vanilla, one teaspoon of salt. If you want to keep it just a vanilla icing on a chocolate cake, stop there. If you want chocolate icing, just add six tablespoons of cocoa powder. Pretty easy, I promise. To start, you're going to need to preheat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit or around 160 to 165 Celsius. It just depends upon how hot your oven runs. Um, in a small pot, you're going to start off by combining the water, butter, oil, and cocoa powder first for the cake mixture. Uh, you're going to heat it over a medium heat until it's combined and the cocoa powder darkens and the mixture is smooth. Basically here what you're doing is you're blooming the cocoa powder the same way you would bloom coffee grounds with hot water. Um, it really adds this extra depth of flavor without burning it. It kind of toasts it and it makes it a darker, richer color as well. Um, it's like comparing birch wood to cherry wood. Like it's just, it's going to get very, very dark. Um, but make sure you stir constantly and you make sure that it's not burning. Um, just make sure it's not burning. Uh, if it does burn, it's, it's okay. You'll have to start over. Um, I wouldn't add it to your batter because that bitter taste from the cocoa powder toasting and then burning will transfer over into your cake and it'll just taste chalky and charred, almost like a charcoal grill. Not worth it. Would not recommend. <laughs> Not that I've done that or anything. Um, but step three, uh, in a separate bowl, you're going to combine flour, baking soda, cinnamon, espresso, and salt. Again, cinnamon, espresso, you know, optional. Highly recommend, but optional. You'll whisk that to, to combine, and then you'll add your buttermilk. If you are lactose intolerant or you are vegan, same thing with the butter. You can use vegan butter for the butter uh, mentioned earlier. And for the buttermilk, just use an equal proportion of almond or soy or oat milk um, with a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar added. So the apple cider vinegar will help to curdle the milk a little bit and give it that sour taste that buttermilk is known for. Um, and it won't affect any of the other processes like the rise or part of the mixing or the com the combination of ingredients. So you're all good. Next, you'll add the eggs one at a time until combined. So you add them one at a time so the mixture can really homogenize. And that way, if you do crack it into the bowl and you have a shell, you can get it out easier than if you had three eggs. So it's all about, you know, ease of use and making things go a little bit faster and then you'll spray two 9-inch pans or a single half-sheet baking tray with oil or Pam, wipe that off, and divide the batter into the pans. You'll bake for 10 minutes and then rotate, and then you'll bake for another 10 minutes and rotate again. After this, about 20 minutes of baking, depending upon if you use a half-sheet or the 9-inch pans, you'll check it with a toothpick every 5 minutes until it comes out clean. So usually the bake time of this, depending upon your oven, can be anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes. Um, I've had some commercial ovens 
and stoves uh, bake the cake within 20 to 25, whereas mine at home, it took about 40. So it just depends upon, you know, what kind of heat you have, if you have a convection oven, if you have a standard gas or electric. So it could take some time and it could come really fast. So just keep that in mind. After the toothpick comes out clean, you'll remove the cake from the oven and let it cool. It doesn't need to be removed from the pan yet, so just let it cool, chill out in the pan, um, somewhere that is away from the stovetop or any source of heat. In the meantime, we're going to make the buttercream. Make sure your butter is softened and at room temperature. If it's not, you can chuck it in the microwave so long as it doesn't have aluminum wrapping for about 15 seconds and then squeeze the sides to see if it's soft. It's okay if it's still a little bit firm, but if it's mostly soft, go ahead and chuck it in the bowl. You're going to cream that together with all the other ingredients for the buttercream. Um, you can do this in the bowl with a hand mixer or with a spatula if you don't have a mixer or in the bowl of a stand mixer with a paddle attachment. If it ends up being too stiff due to the cocoa powder, sometimes that happens, um, you can add one tablespoon of water or milk until it gets to the consistency that you're looking for. And you're looking for something that's not runny, like royal icing. I mean, no, <laughs> we just don't want that for a cake, right? Um, you're looking for something that's a little bit stiff. Um, if you've ever done construction work or... <laughs> not construction work, but if you've ever, like recocked a bathroom or uh, used something like putty to fill in a hole in a wall. It's like that consistency. Spackle. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, it's like that consistency. It's really tacky. It's really sticky. Almost like homemade Play-Doh, if that makes sense. If not, <laughs> you just don't want it to be too runny. The, the goal is to make sure that you can ice a cake and keep it on the sides of the cake. So, so long as it's not too runny, you're in the clear. Okay, and now that all of that is done, congratulations, um, we're going to ice the cake. So after the cake is cooled, you'll remove it from the pans and spread an even layer of icing on top of one of the cakes. Basically, we're going to do a crumb coat first. You'll place the other cake on top and ensure that they're aligned. You'll lightly ice the sides and the top. This is just to give it a thin layer. Um, the crumb coat is basically the first initial coat to make sure that any of the crumbs that are going to come off the sides and the top are in that layer and they don't come out in the final icing. So this is optional too. Um, you don't have to do a crumb coat. If you're cool with having some pieces of cake in your icing, go for it. Um, but you will just ice a very thin layer around the sides and the top just to get it started. Stick it in the fridge, let it cool, and then after about 10-15 minutes when it's cold to the touch, you'll pull it out and then ice the rest. What this does is it solidifies the crumbs in that first layer of icing and makes sure that the outer layer of the icing is completely smooth, completely soft, and completely like crumb free. That allows you to decorate a little bit easier and to ice easier as well because you have a smooth surface to work on. It's the difference between like painting a wall with <laughs> popcorn texture and painting one that's smooth. Um, it's not, the end result isn't going to be too different, but you will be able to see the underneath easier or less easier. So, okay, I'm done with the construction analogies. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of yard work and so it's included a lot of moving things around and using tools and uh, building a, oh god, what is it called? An arbor. Yeah, we built an arbor in the back, so I've got a lot of construction on my mind. 
Um, so yeah, just ice the sides and top of the cake as you desire. You can use piping bags, a spoon, a knife, a bench scraper. The options are literally endless. Don't use a screwdriver and don't use anything else that wouldn't make your job easier. It doesn't have to look beautiful to taste delicious. And it'll taste that much better because you made it. <laughs> you should have pride in your creations. Speaking of having pride in your creations, <laughs> and just in yourself in general, we're going to talk about something that isn't that talked about. It's come up a little bit more in popular media over the past couple months, um, but it's a disorder called dissociative identity disorder. And it's something that is still controversial in uh, psychology. And by that, I mean, people just don't know how to treat it very well. And there aren't a lot of uh, psychologists who specialize in it. And I could be completely wrong, but this was true as of about six months ago. Um, and the only reason I say that is because my sister, who was on before, Leighton, she has schizophrenia. And when we went to the therapist, I had mentioned dissociative identity disorder. And luckily, her therapist knew what it was and she was familiar with it. But she said that there weren't that many specialists in it and that it would be hard to test for. Um, just because some of her symptoms weren't showing up in the same category as schizophrenia would normally show up as, so I didn't know if it would be dissociative identity disorder. I try to keep tabs on, you know, different different mental health um, diagnosis, diagnoses um, because I find that interesting. I find the human brain really fascinating and seeing how it changes and how we are just catching up with how everyone's brain is unique and different and so I do try to keep up with the journals on that and the resources that are coming out and you know try to follow the science and the medicine behind what's going on in our brains because I don't know if I'm suffering with something until I'm able to put a name to it like yeah I may know that I'm different or intrinsically off a little bit like offbeat but I won't know if that's actually just like a part of my personality or something deeper, right? Because like when we go into the disorder, you'll see there are instances where you can forget things that you've done or where you dissociate and you don't feel like yourself. And like, I've definitely had moments of that, but it's hard to tell what is internalized trauma that you're trying to work through, which is a different category, or if it's like actually a mental illness that is stemmed from the trauma. So it's different, different categories of something that's very similar. And the human brain is very complex, right? Like there is no one size fits all, which is why I try to keep up with these things. So we're going to talk about dissociative identity disorder. I'm sure the majority of those out there who have seen Shrek know the infamous line, Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers. You get it? We both have layers. That's my really bad Shrek impersonation. Please do not come for me. <laughs> and Donkey's retort is that it's similar to cake. <laughs> A much better analogy. Like some nuggets of wisdom from that godforsaken movie, it's true. People are akin to cake and have plenty of layers. Some are crumbly and unstable on their own and need cake stands or support for the weight of the icing on top of them. They come in all shapes and sizes and colors and are decorated differently depending upon where you're at and your culture. People are exactly the same. 
The more you delve into who you are, the more layers you discover, whether through therapy, trauma, or positive experiences. Who you are is stored and formed in layers of your life. That's why I wanted to discuss dissociative identity disorder this week. So dissociative identity disorders are characterized by an involuntary escape from reality, characterized by a disconnection between thoughts, identity, consciousness, and memory. People from all age groups and racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic backgrounds can experience associative identity disorder. Up to 75% of people experience at least one depersonalization slash derealization episode in their lives, with only 2% meeting the full criteria for chronic episodes. Women are more likely than men to be diagnosed with a dissociative disorder. The symptoms of this disorder usually first develop as a response to a traumatic event, such as abuse or military combat, to keep those memories under control. Stressful situations can worsen symptoms and cause problems with functioning in everyday activities. However, the symptoms a person experiences will depend upon the type of dissociative disorder that a person has. Treatment for dissociative disorders often involved psychotherapy and medication. Though finding an effective treatment plan can be difficult, many people are able to live happy and productive lives. Some symptoms and signs of dissociative disorders include significant memory loss of specific times, people, and events, out-of-body experiences such as feeling as though you're watching a movie of yourself, mental health problems such as depression, anxiety, and thoughts of suicide, a sense of detachment from your emotions or emotional numbness, or a lack of self-identity. The symptoms of dissociative disorders depend on the type of disorder that has been diagnosed. There are three types of dissociative disorders defined in the DSM-5. There's dissociative amnesia, and these are different from dissociative identity disorder. Just a disclaimer, these are the three dissociative um, disorders that are out there. So DID is the last one that I'll talk about, but I wanted to preface it by giving you a rundown of the other two that also exist side by side. Um, so dissociative amnesia. The main symptom is difficulty remembering important information about oneself. Dissociative amnesia may surround a per particular event, such as combat or abuse, or more rarely, information about identity and life history. The onset for an amnesic episode is usually sudden, and an episode can last minutes, hours, days, or rarely months or years. There is no average for age, onset, or percentage, and a person may experience multiple episodes throughout their life. Number two, depersonalization disorder. This disorder involves ongoing feelings of detachment from actions, feelings, thoughts, and sensations as if they are watching a movie. Depersonalization. Sometimes other people and things may feel like people and things in the world around them are unreal. Derealization. A person may experience depersonalization or derealization, or sometimes both. Symptoms can last a matter of moments or return at times over the years. The average onset age is 16, although depersonalization episodes can start anywhere from early to mid-childhood. Less than 20% of this disorder uh, are people who start experiencing episodes after the age of 20. All right, and DID. So dissociative identity disorder, which is formerly known as multiple personality disorder, is characterized by alternating between multiple personalities. 
A person may feel like one or more voices is trying to take control in their head. Often these identities may have unique names, characteristics, mannerisms, and voices. People with DID will experience gaps in memory of everyday events, personal information, and trauma. Women are more likely to be diagnosed as they are more frequently present with acute dissociative symptoms. Men are more likely to deny symptoms in trauma histories and commonly exhibit more violent behavior rather than amnesia or fugue states. This can lead to elevated false negative diagnosis. So DID, you can think of it like a system, right? Um, This is an analogy that I'm taking from a YouTuber called uh, Nim, and I'll link her info in the show notes. But basically, you can think of your brain like a system, right? Uh, Like a computer system. So you can have many different files, and in those files you have many different documents, right? So each identity is kind of like a different file that you can go into and out of, Um, and sometimes they're running the system, and sometimes another one is running, and sometimes you have two files running at the same time, um, or two programs running at the same time, but they all coexist within one vessel, the body, right? So it's like having a computer system inside your brain. Other than that, there's not really a good analogy for it. Um, She explains it a lot better than I do, as she is someone with DID. Um, I would definitely go check her out. But I thought that was a very apt analogy, just describing it like a computer system, because you can have multiple programs running at once. You can have one running that takes up all the energy, but it's all on the same computer, right? So it does make a lot of sense, and I'm glad that she came up with this analogy. I think it'll reach a lot more people that way. Some causes of dissociative disorders. So they usually develop as a way of dealing with trauma. Uh, Dissociative disorders most often form in children exposed to long-term physical, sexual, or emotional abuse. Natural disasters in combat can also cause dissociative disorders. Diagnosis. Doctors diagnose dissociative disorders based on a review of symptoms and personal history. A doctor may perform tests to rule out physical conditions that can cause symptoms such as memory loss and a sense of unreality. For example, head injury, brain lesions, tumors, sleep deprivation, or intoxication. If physical causes are ruled out, a mental health specialist is often consulted to make an evaluation. Many features of dissociative disorders can be influenced by a person's cultural background. In the case of dissociative identity disorder and dissociative amnesia, patients may present with unexplained non-epileptic seizures, paralysis, or sensory loss. In settings where possession is part of cultural beliefs, the fragmented identities of a person who has DID may take the form of spirits, deities, demons, or animals. Intercultural contact may also influence characteristics of other identities. For example, a person in India is exposed to Western culture. They may present with an alter who only speaks English. In cultures with highly restrictive social customs, amnesia is frequently triggered by severe psychological stress, such as conflict caused by oppression. Finally, voluntary-induced states of depersonalization can be a part of meditative practices prevalent in many religions and cultures and should not be diagnosed as a disorder. Treatment Dissociative disorders are managed through various therapies, including psychotherapies, such as cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. We've talked about her. We love her. She's great. Um, And dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. Also great. But CBT? Great. We love her. She's doing great. (laughs) Um, 
It can also be helped through eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. EMDR. This one's I don't want to say it's new, but it's relatively uh, fresh on the scene. <laughs> it's the new kid on the block um, with an old school mentality. It's a pretty interesting uh, therapy to look into if you ever have time and you're curious. EMDR. You should definitely Google it. Um, and medications such as antidepressants that can treat symptoms of related conditions. Some related conditions to dissociative disorders include PTSD, BPD, substance use disorders, depression, or anxiety. These usually manifest because DID or dissociative disorders are caused from trauma, um, and these all appear on the trauma spectrums. And it's time for one of my favorite parts of the podcast, um, reading the Urban Dictionary definition for the mental illness that we're talking about. Um, The last couple times... Urban Dictionary's gotten it down, and I, I'm really impressed with people for actually putting the real definitions of these disorders on there, because some people don't go to the dictionary, you know, they go to the Urban Dictionary, and so it's really awesome to see accurate representation. All right, so dissociative identity disorder, as defined by the Urban Dictionary, it's formally known as multiple personality disorder and or split personality. DID is a severe mental illness in which the person has two or more distinct personalities, which form entirely different memories and characteristics, commonly confused with schizophrenia. Uh, Dissociative identity disorder is extremely difficult to treat. And that's true. It's difficult to treat because these identities aren't just... They aren't just something that stemmed from trauma. They are a part of the person, and it's you don't want to erase someone's identity when so much of their memory has already been erased, right? Like, if these identities stemmed from a trauma and are there to help protect the brain, deconstructing them could be almost more harmful than the initial trauma itself. And so it is very hard to treat DID because a lot of people want to cure DID and I don't I don't really think that there is a cure I think there is just management and ensuring that some of the related conditions don't worsen um, and making sure that the person is actually able to become their their best selves right like if it is so dangerous to do anything with the brain just because there's so much that we don't know you don't want to erase someone's identity and how they've been coping and dealing with that traumatic event um, because that could push some of the other related conditions like depression and anxiety to forefront and to become worse and essentially you're wanting to cure the person by erasing parts of them which is not that's not therapy and that's that's not curing them that is uh taking away from part of who they are and how they've been able to uh, develop protections against something horrible or something traumatic that has happened to them in childhood or in adolescence. And you don't ever want to take away that safeguard. So thanks for listening to me rant, (laughs) the really bad uh, construction analogies and the Shrek quote. What an episode. (laughs) As always, 
links to everything are in the show notes. Go check out my website if you feel like it. You totally don't have to. Um, Let me know if you have any recommendations or comments or concerns. Please rate the podcast as well. It does actually help. Um, Or so the Apple algorithm says. Again, for me, it's not really about reaching people. It's just about putting this out there so that if anyone stumbles upon it and it's something that they need, they have it. Um, Don't forget to make someone smile. It's all worth it. And there will be links in the show notes to donate to various charities. Um, Mental health charities, uh, Black Lives Matter charities, and then a few other agricultural charities, especially to support Yemen and the agricultural crisis that is going on on farms all throughout Europe and North America and basically the world. Um, Due to the food structure of our society and how that has played out a lot of farms are having to throw away fresh food because restaurants aren't ordering them so they're in distress because they have food that they can't use and can't process because that costs money and time but they can't get it to people because again money and time so there are a couple of links there to donate to different organizations to get that food out of the farmer's hands make sure the farmers are paid and to um, get it into the hands of communities in need. So have a great weekend, and I will see you next time.